0: Back to in the queue film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I am your co-host Phil, and I had an Avengers-packed couple of days because before watching this film we're about to review, I watched the first Avengers film, which I had not seen.
1: Oh yeah, you got you got a double dose of Avengers. It was intense, man. I bet it was. I bet it was. Yeah. I am your co-host Andrew, and. I just... Oh, you are tipping your hand.
0: (laughs) You are throwing your cards on the table.
1: Am I? Uh, I don't know, man. It's my my battle weariness, my fatigue when it comes to comic book movies might have reached its zenith.
0: Or its nadir.
1: No, it's. I think it's its zenith. The fatigue has reached its zenith. My enthusiasm has reached its nadir. Oh, okay. Interesting distinction.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about Avengers Age of Ultron. Ooh, yeah. But before we do, we would like to tell you where you can find us on the web. Yes. If you go to our blog at www.in-the-q, and that's the letter q, mind you, .com, you will find all of our shows posted. You can listen to them. You can participate in discussions in the comment section. And you can leave requests for movies you would like us to review. And we would be more than happy to honor those requests. Mm-hmm. Now, similarly, we have a Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for In the Queue." That's Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. There you can leave comments, uh, listener requests. And you can also look at videos and other things that we post to supplement the material of what we happen to be discussing that week. Indeed. For example, here's just something I just you know remembered uh, when we did our show about the man who shot Liberty Valance. I posted a clip of that song, "The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance" from the '60s, yeah. which I grew up with. That song. Um, it's a great song. It is a good song, and I think that it is has something to do with the film other than just the title but you know it's still good it still is fair game for uh its inclusion on the facebook page indeed now and then also uh you can go to itunes and subscribe to our podcast just do a search for in the queue that's q-u-e-u-e you can subscribe all of our shows will be delivered to you uh twice a week And all of our older shows are all accessible, too, on iTunes, so you can get our whole catalog and listen to it wherever you like, whether it's on the train, at the gym, where you're cooking, or whatever you want to do, you can do it within the queue. True. How about that? I like that you rhymed that. And then you kind of rhymed it as well when you said
1: true. Uh, We're on a roll. We're
0: on a roll. We're going to talk about Avengers Age of Ultron now. Speaking of being on a roll, so uh, this film, it basically picks up with all the same characters from the original film. Um, yeah, you've, you've yeah. got just to name a few, or I don't know, if we should name all of them. You've got Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow, Hawkeye, um, the Hulk, the Hulk of course, the Hulk. Nick Fury
1: is there. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah, and some new people, war machine, right? Yeah, from the the Iron Man movies,
0: right? And so, when the film begins, they the um, the Avengers they defeated Loki from the previous film, uh, but Loki's uh, scepter is is still active.
1: Yeah, and has vanished into. Eastern Europe somewhere. Right, in uh, the the wonderfully
0: named and wonderfully imagined country of Sokovia. Sokovia. Um, And uh, Iron Man and, or should I say, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner are working on some kind of a, like a peacekeeping uh, type of creation called Ultron. Um, And this creation that they're working on basically... Revolts and, and develops itself into some kind of like a, an evil presence. Some kind of a villainous mentality overtakes it. And therefore Ultron becomes this gigantic enemy that the Avengers have to defeat. And that's kind of like the, the premise there. And, and there's there's other sorts of subplots and things. There's kind of a sort of a love interest subplot between the Hulk and Black Widow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which, you know, I like both of those actors, so I thought that was, you know, diverting to watch Scarlett Johansson and Mark Ruffalo look into each other's eyes tenderly and, and embrace. Of course, half the time he was a giant green
1: CGI monster, so it didn't quite have the same impact. Yeah, a I'm not particularly convincing giant green CGI monster, You mean I would add. You mean you could tell that he was CGI? Oh, It was... I mean, you remember in the 80s when they would superimpose, you know, effects and you could see uh, like a dark line around or a white line around whatever was being superimposed over the image and it looked incredibly fake and poor. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think CGI, like we've reached that point. Like there's an opening action sequence in this film that is it's just ridiculous
0: you mean do you it's, mean the the big opening action sequence
1: yeah, yeah. the huge one where they where they're retrieving loki's scepter by storming this eastern european you know uh sort of stronghold
0: and it seems to be the way it's all engineered and designed it,
1: it's it seems to be like one seamless shot that particular so, event yeah well yeah that event and everything that follows i mean i just found it to be very ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, bringing up that shot, yeah, sure. That shot in particular, because of the fact that it is one fake continuous shot, meaning when I say fake, I mean, it's almost entirely CGI. It's got very little yeah, uh, actual people in it. You get into that territory that we call the uncanny valley where things, sure, they look kind of real, especially if you freeze frame it, things look fine. But in motion it looks inhuman people that are supposed to be doing things, especially there's a sequence where Thor is kicking some butt and just like, you know, spinning around in circles and hitting people with his hammer and like doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And it could not have looked faker. I, I mean, it just looked awful. And I, I cannot understand how a movie with this kind of budget and this kind of profile, how anybody would ever sign off on, CGI that looks like this. I mean, it's just garbage. I mean, some of it's great throughout the film. There's a lot of great examples of it. But when, I guess when you get to a movie that's, you know, pushing two hours and two and a half hours, even two two and a half, pushing two and a half hours, and it's nearly wall to wall CGI of some sort. Almost every shot has some level of CGI in it. I guess you have to make sacrifices unless you want to spend, you know, 10 years making the movie. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think that that I think we've gotten to the point where like so much has to be done that they just they just have to cut corners and compromise and the compromises to me just are awful. They look terrible.
0: Yeah. Well, even beyond the the special effects, like I just um, I, I have a very poor opinion of this film. Uh, I just <laughs> I just feel like I feel like it's it's everything wrong with movies these days yeah um, I yeah. feel like it, the people who made make this film um uh, they're going in entirely the wrong direction of that a filmmaker should go in. and rather than exploring what makes us human, they're delving into these adolescent fantasies which yeah. which we have seen ad infinitum over and over and over again. And we and the stories don't change. They're superhero movies for me are a waste of time. Um, oh wow! I, yeah, and and this one in particular, I think maybe I was a little bit bitter having to see the first two and a half hour Avengers and then see the second two and a half hour Avengers so quickly. Oh. But um, but okay, even if you know, may, perhaps I'm being harsh by saying they're a waste of time. But that's kind of how I feel. But regardless, I just feel like this is film as an art should not should it should go in different territory. One of my favorite quotes from the movie adaptation, which is a great Spike Jones movie based on a great Spike um, Charlie Coffin script. Now, Nicholas Cage's character is a screenwriter in this film, and he says he's uh, he's criticizing his brother, who is trying to make a go of being a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And and his his brother's work is so by the numbers and so textbook Hollywood screenwriter. It's stuff like The Avengers, basically. And yeah. and and Nicholas Cage, the other brother, is is so incredulous about this, and he says, "This is not what writing should be. Writing should be a journey into the unknown." And that's what I want to see more of. I want to see movies that take us someplace we've never been before. And that would mean the writer has to go someplace they've never been before. Yeah. And and The Avengers 2 is so familiar. Every single thing is familiar. The only thing that, that they can provide that's new are the
1: special effects. But even the special effects don't measure up. Yeah, I, f- I find them to be tired and unimpressive. I don't – like I – I, didn't, I did not find these special effects. I found the special effects in Ex Machina to be considerably more interesting and convincing than anything in this film.
0: Well, the special effects in Ex Machina were very thoughtful and practical and, and different and new. But I, what I meant by my comment is that in films like this, summer blockbusters, because we're basically approaching that time,
1: um, yeah, it's May. It's a May. This is the official kickoff. I think this movie,
0: right? Yeah, I think it is. You know, I mean, their their version of upping the ante is with the special effects. They're not going to be able to get an even more groundbreaking performance out of Robert Downey Jr. That's not, <laughs> I mean, that, that's not going to happen. What yeah, what can they yeah. do to put asses in seats? Special effects. Let's just make even cooler, more advanced special effects or different special effects. And then that way, we'll put asses in seats. We'll make our money back in the first weekend of the growth. We'll sell
1: it to overseas markets where they don't care about the words that are coming out of people's mouths. They just want to see things happening on screen.
0: Yeah, and uh, apparently, I mean, Andrew, Andrew and I talked about this before the show. They made like over $190 million in opening weekend. Opening weekend, yeah, yeah, one hundred ninety-one million dollars. So they're definitely going to recoup their investment by uh, in, in in a week's time. But yeah, um, I just it's just depressing to me to think that
1: I don't know too many of these movies exist. Yeah, and and it's even more depressing. I mean, I'm not the world's biggest Joss Whedon fan. I think that he's written a lot of very good stuff. I think he's very clever. I think he's a smart writer and a smart filmmaker. And, you know, especially things like Cabin in the Woods, which I appreciated very much, um, is a uh, uh, Joss Whedon creation. This, to me, was like, it was like he was absent from this film. I mean, there were certainly some clever lines in there from here, you know, from time to time. And and some of, you know, some of the little quips were really great. But as I've expressed before, one of my problems with this sort of Marvel behemoth of filmmaking and all these superhero movies that Marvel keeps putting out is that they are like, everybody's like a, a a machine. Everybody runs around like just being witty as heck and like having a good time. And like, you know, and, and and when you get into a movie like this, like in individual movies, that's bothersome enough, like watching Captain America on its own or watching uh, Iron Man on its own. You know, they, it has their its place and certainly Robert Downey Jr. can carry it off and he's very funny and all that kind of stuff. When you put a whole bunch of characters into a movie together and they're all just like throwing out quips every other line, it's insufferable. It's absolutely insufferable. I cannot deal with it for an entire two and a half hours. I just get tired of it. I just get exhausted by it. I don't want to see everybody being so cute and clever. Yeah. I want to see actual things happening.
0: A lot of people have also shared your opinion about that, that there's too much humor or the humor is just too um, – ruins the tone of what's happening or, it just, or yeah. it just seems out of place.
1: And I think that that's part of the Marvel ethos because all of these, all of these entities that are owned by Marvel have a, a sameness to them, right? They all feel like the same movie over and over again. And I've expressed this before in this podcast. I feel like it's, I'm watching the same movie over and over and over. But you'll notice if you go back in our podcast, there was a superhero movie that came out last year that I loved. Mm. And that was X-Men Days of Future Past. And I thought it was spectacular. And the big reason that I mentioned for thinking that it was a spectacular movie, and there are some very distinct parallels that you can draw between X-Men and Avengers. They're both ensemble casts about large groups of people, you know, fighting to save the world. But... X Men: Days of Future Past took itself very seriously, and there were some quips, there was some humor, there was comic relief in it. There was some Jim Croce as well. There was some Jim Croce with uh, Evan Peters running around as Quicksilver, who was played in this film by Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, Quicksilver running around and uh, you know changing the circumstances of the the fight that they're having. Yeah, very funny stuff, and the and the but the comic relief is spaced out. And when the movie needs to get serious, it does, it does so. And it doesn't feel the need to break the tension every 30 seconds. Every time there is a dramatic moment in, in the Avengers age of Ultron, it's broken almost immediately by some clever quip. Somebody steps in to like be funny. And I just can't, I think it's, I think it does a terrible disservice to the story, to the characters, to the film itself. I think it just breaks it down and it makes it not as interesting. It just it it makes me not care. I don't feel like there are any stakes because if none of the people on screen can be bothered to be frightened or seem like they're in danger or like there's anything wrong with them.
0: Yeah, if they don't care then why should we?
1: Why should we care? And if they're just so not bothered by everything, then I I can't be bothered by it. And that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, like uh, one of, they introduced two new characters in this, in this film, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch who are twins. They're raised in this, you know, they're kind of experimented on They're human experiments. They're, they've developed these mutant powers. Um, and there is a, a moment when the Scarlet Witch, essentially she's working for the other side. She's working for Ultron and she has a moment of dominance over most of the Avengers where she sort of sinks them into their own minds and their own sort of worst fears and dreams. And there's these sort of like really interesting kind of dream sequences that we never really get a further explanation of. I I would get a further explanation of a couple of them, I guess. Mm -hmm. But that that moment is like such an, an interesting and wonderful moment, but then it's brushed off and it's never even revisited. That, like, like that never comes up again. It's like by the time they re-encounter the Scarlet Witch, she's, you know, spoiler alert, I guess I should say, if you are if you haven't seen this film yet or if you're interested in watching it, I am going to say a spoiler right now about the plot. By the next time they encounter the Scarlet Witch, she's on their side. So the threat is no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I would say that, that this film is guilty of so many shortcuts so many narrative sort of threads that are dropped. I mean, it, it gives up almost everything in favor of just having wall to wall action. I can't even say that I could catch my breath in this film because it there was so much action there's so many action sequences. Everything was a set piece. Everything was happening. I mean, the, the final battle is probably the last 45 minutes of the film. If not more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> I think that uh, the 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 flippant attitude that a lot of the characters have, where they're kind of like they're too cool to be bothered by anything, they're too cool to be scared, they've always got a funny remark. Um, you know, I mean that that type of a character can be amusing. I mean. You know, look at like James Bond or Indiana Jones. Occasionally, those characters will say something witty or off the cuff, and it's and it's funny. Um, But to to sort of um, you know make the the whole tone of the film a a series of clever quips, as you say, um, then that in a way that kind of deflates any kind of dramatic tension that may develop. I mean, by by accident even. Uh, that might develop, you know, as a as an anomaly or something un- yeah. unintentional.
1: Even even the enemy, even even Ultron in this film, is constantly quipping. He's constantly making jokes or like silly asides. And I was like, well what like if, if if Ultron can't be bothered to take this seriously, like what the heck am I watching? Why am I watching this movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I wonder uh if there's gonna be a lot of like repeat viewers of of this film or is it mostly going to be everybody and their mother is going to see this movie when it comes out and then
1: and then that's it. I don't know. I don't I think there'll be plenty of repeat viewers just people who are like, "Oh, it's just wall to wall action. It's so great. It's so cool. It's superheroes. Everybody loves superheroes. Oh my god, it's so great." You'll get plenty of those people. I feel quite confident that they'll, there will be plenty of those, but I mean, this this movie is almost it's almost pure fan service, right? I mean, it is pandering to those people who are going to like it anyway. I mean, one of the things that actually bothered me about this film was Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a member of the Avengers. What's his, what's his ability. He is incredibly accurate with a bow and arrow. The, uh, the internet has been ruthless in saying this is worthless. This is dumb. All these other people have, you have a demigod, you have Thor here. And then next to him, you have a guy who's really good with a bow and arrow, right? And so they made fun of him ad infinitum, especially after the release of the first Avengers film. So what do they do in this film? They spend half the time either A, justifying his him himself, justifying why he's there in lines like, all these guys are here and I'm just here with a bow and arrow. Uh, you know, yeah. silly silly things like that. As if tipping their... Hat to the audience, saying ah, uh-uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, you know what I mean, know what I mean, hey. Send them more, send them more. We hear you out there. We hear you. You know, like it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's pandering. It's really pandering, and it, I, I just find it tiresome and almost insulting to the audience to have that, that kind of an attitude. And I think it's interesting. I, I was reading interview. I was reading rather articles about this film. And they were talking about the fact that in interviews, Joss Whedon said that this film quote unquote broke his back or broke his spirit. Oh, right. That his battles with the studio with Marvel were sort of epic. And there was all kinds of fights as to what they should and shouldn't keep. And apparently the studio execs wanted to keep this, the scene where Thor goes to like a dark pool and, I just sees a vision and it's unclear exactly what all that's about in the film. Um, they wanted to keep that. He wanted to keep this whole section where they spend half the time, you know, they spend a lot of the time humanizing Hawkeye and you get to see that he has a family and he has this sort of like remote home that he lives in. Joss Whedon wanted to keep that. Marvel wanted to keep the, and he wanted, and Joss Whedon wanted to keep the dream sequences, the ones I mentioned earlier. Um, and they wanted to axe those, but they wanted to keep the the pool. So they came to an agreement where they kept the pool and they were able, because he allowed them to keep the pool, they allowed him to keep these other two things. Like he just said it was an, like an endless amount of frustration and that they sapped the um, the creativity out of the process, which may be the case and I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. Well, I mean, his first, his first cut of this film was like three and a half hours or something. Yeah. I mean,
0: when you're making a film on this scale in Hollywood, it's hard to really expect that you're going to get a, a lot of freedom. <laughs> Any control. Yeah.
1: Unless, you're, unless your name is Christopher Nolan these days, you're not going to get anything because, yeah. you know. That
0: was, that was one thing that Paul Thomas Anderson would always strive for is to get final cut in his
1: contract. I think he's had it for every film after Boogie Nights, hasn't he? Uh,
0: well, I don't know. He probably has. I mean, if you look at The Master, I mean, that seems like a pretty uncompromising f-
1: vision. Or Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> or There Will
0: Be Blood. I know that uh, he was talking about it in the uh, the ex- extra features for Magnolia. And he, he, was, like, he was bragging to the late Philip Seymour Hoffman about how, God, I've got Final Cut, I've got Final Cut, there's nothing they can do. And he ended up making a three-hour film. But um yeah, yeah
1: I can't I, that the studio was not happy with.
0: <laughs> right, but you know screw that he made he made a great movie. He he made oh, yeah. a movie that'll last for ages. Um, yes, a- Avengers Age of Ultron is not a movie that's going to last for ages. I just can't understand uh how you know you can really execute your vision if you were directing a film like this. If you're writing and directing a film like this. Yeah. I imagine there's yeah. so much interference from, from the studio heads and from other people who are thinking, okay, Joss, you know, we've got a lot of money riding on this one. <laughs> Could be a big summer blockbuster. You know, let's uh, got to do this.
1: Well, and even more than that, especially in, in the sort of hierarchy of this, this – or the structure of this Marvel machine that exists now, this thing has to fit perfectly within the timelines – of every single one of these other films that are being made Including the ones that are in production
0: Yeah, because Ant-Man is coming out in like a month, isn't it?
1: Ant-Man is coming out And he was a, an original member of the Avengers And they reached a deal with Sony That they would be able to incorporate Spider-Man Into the next Avengers movie Because he was an original member of the Avengers um, So they're, And they have, they have What I read was that Marvel has their entire release list Planned out through 2027 Yeah so that's 12 more years of Marvel movies. Dear god, make it stop. Mm-hmm. 12 more years of Marvel movies that this has to fit into. You know, they're writing them like comic books essentially. They're they're writing a story arc that is across two decades. Yeah. <laughs> and to me that's insane. First of all, it's not an admirable achievement. It's restrictive, it's reductive, it's forces you to make compromises that you wouldn't have to make if you didn't have to do that. Um, I, again, would bring you back to X-Men Days of Future Past, which I think is an excellent superhero movie and exactly the way that these kind of movies should be made. It is... It stands alone, essentially. It doesn't have to be... It Sure, it incorporates things from X-Men First Class. It incorporates things from even the previous X-Men movies. It has a little sort of, you know, uh, nod to... Uh, the the brian the original brian singer x men and x men two and x men three but it it isn't it doesn't feel beholden to them it doesn 't feel like it's been shackled by those movies mm-hmm. in the in the same way that this movie feels like it's just it's just going through the paces in order to just vomit out the information that they need so that they can get to the infinity gauntlet movie that they're going to do with Thanos. <laughs> Because, I mean, that's what it is. The last Avengers movie. I mean, you just saw them both, right? Thanos makes an appearance at the end of each of them.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And then uh, uh, the Avengers Infinity Part 1 and 2 comes out in 2018 and 2019,
1: respectively. Sweet Christ. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah. So, they've been working. Like, the Infinity Gauntlet, when I was a kid, was this great story arc that had been created. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun to read. Um, I remember reading it as it was coming out. It was great, but the fact that you're gonna you're gonna just <laughs> you're gonna force every single movie that you make to to sort of trudge lifelessly towards this predetermined script that you've written for the arc of your you know thirty some odd movies that you're gonna release I, over the next ten years I don't think it can continue. I don't think it's gonna come to pass I think. I'm hoping that people will get tired of these now earning $191 million in opening weekend shows that maybe that's not going to happen, but I would hope that people would just get fatigue for these. movies. I cannot, I can't, you know, when I was walking out of this movie theater, I looked at all of the posters for the coming attractions. And of course, this being the beginning of the summer movie season, everything was a summer movie and every Single movie that I passed, including one that I'm very excited for, but unfortunately falls into this category. Every single movie I passed, except for one film, was either a sequel to an already existing franchise or it was a comic book movie. So there was Jurassic World and there was Ant-Man and there was, you know, Mad Max, uh-huh. Fury Road, which is an existing franchise. Granted, I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. But it is an existing franchise. It's something people know, something people love, something that is familiar to them. The only movie that I saw advertised in the entire movie theater, and this is a big movie theater, this is a 13 screen movie theater. The only movie that I saw that was not, that did not fall into that category was Southpaw, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie that's coming out. Oh, where he's the boxer? Yeah, that was the only one. I probably I walked past twenty posters, yeah, and it was the only one. That to me is colossally depressing. How are we going to do this, Andrew? How are we going
0: to get movies back (laughs) on track, where people will make movies about you know stories that matter to human beings, and and about what what it means to be human, and stories about you know about uh, the human sort of condition.
1: But these things, these things are not mutually exclusive. You can have a great summer blockbuster. You can watch Star Wars. And Star Wars is more about the human condition and what it means to be human than any of these comic book movies is. Like it's infinitely – like the level of storytelling in a movie like Star Wars is so far beyond any of these movies. It's just it's, – it's, it's not even worth comparing them. You watch a movie like Aliens. You watch a movie like Indiana Jones. You watch any of those movies. Those are colossally – well-made entertainment, meaning that they are fun. They are exciting. They are tentpole movies. They are summer blockbusters. They're big. They're brash. They're bold. They're fun. But they're also great films about three-dimensional characters that are interesting to watch and, and tell you a little bit something about the, the human race. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. Or, or, or at least have original stories that uh, that we have a stake in when we watch them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you can't even make the argument that, like, oh, all the stories have been told and they just get retold and retold again. Sure, but then, of course, that wonderful Roger Ebert quote that I constantly refer to: it's not what the movies are about; it's about how they're about them. And the how, in the case of most of these comic book movies, and certainly these Marvel movies, I think the how is just garbage. I think it's just, it's just poor filmmaking. I think it's lazy. I think it's, uh, it verges on incompetent. I think it is just, it's, it's not, the fact that these are as popular as they are makes me so depressed. And this is from somebody who grew up immersed in comic books. It was my life (laughs) for a huge part of my childhood. It was all I cared about. And, and I, I could not be more disappointed in, in, most of these movies, not all of them, but most of them. Well, uh,
0: you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Andrew did not like Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs>
1: hey, I think you said the same thing.
0: <laughs> I was just, uh, there's a little bit more brevity when I said it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. I, this is my long winded rant.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we're both disappointed. And we'll see what Marvel Studios comes up with next.
1: I mean, I don't. I, maybe we should do Ant Man just for the hell of it. Yeah, maybe. Right. I mean, it does have uh, what's his name in it. Who's always fun to watch? Michael Douglas. No. <laughs> Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Well, I mean, like I like Michael Douglas. Too. I like him too. He's great. But I was thinking Paul Rudd. Okay. But again. Quip machine. I mean, Paul Rudd's like a quip machine to begin with, as, as like a, I mean, that's his persona. Yeah. So we shall that'll see. That'll be interesting.
0: All right. Well, that's our show about uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron. Stay tuned for our next episode. We will be doing a listener's choice with Clint uh, with the documentary aired on ESPN, I Hate Christian Leitner.
1: Yeah, part of the thirty for thirty series.
0: So stay tuned for that. This is a first for in the queue. Um, it is it's in in a number of ways. It is, it's it's a, a a sports documentary, but it also has a very um, in depth look at the character and personality of basketball star Christian Laettner. So stay tuned for that.